And it would only be appropriate for us to begin today's service with a word of prayer for certainly all those impacted 10 years ago. Uh, I'm sure like the video said, you remember exactly what you were doing, where you were, who you were with. Uh, And today's going to be a really difficult day for a lot of men and women in our country that were directly impacted by that tragedy. So here's what I want to do as we begin our service today. One, I want to stop and have a word of prayer. And and I'd like you to pray, not out loud, but just in your seat. If you know anybody directly impacted, I certainly want to pray for all those who were lost in the tragedy. I want to start off today's service by praying for our military men and women stationed all over the world today. And I want to begin today by praying for our law enforcement agencies, uh, our firefighters across America, our first responders, all the people who, who rushed in when everyone else was running out. Uh, and those who continue to rush in to try to protect our freedoms. I love America, and I'm highly thankful and aware of the people who protect us and keep us safe. So can we just begin today with a, with a word of prayer? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And if you want to pray specifically for someone today, please feel free to do that. But we're just going to pray kind of a, a, a large-scope prayer. And God, we just pray right now. Lord, ten years after what, what probably will be the defining moment, of our generation. Lord, we just pray for husbands and wives and children and parents uh, and old fiancés and friends, uh, sons and daughters. Lord, families that have been radically changed because all those people were, were taken away in an instant. Lord, I pray for, Lord, the thousands of troops in the last 10 years that have given their life pursuing Lord, the people who did this and who want to continue to do this so that, so that we can have church today, so we can be safe, so we can sleep in a house and feel safe at night. And God, we want to pray today for every, Lord, law enforcement uh, individual in our country, every firefighter and those who work with the fire department, Lord, all of our first responders, those people who exist to keep us safe and when things go wrong to help us immediately. Those people don't even live on their timetables. They live on the timetable of the urgent, but they've committed their life to that, and we thank you. And God, I just pray for the United States of America today. I know there are people today who want to hurt our country, hurt our people, hurt our president, hurt our government, hurt our major cities, and Lord, inflict more harm. And we just pray that your blessing and protection would be on us. Uh, And Lord, we, we thank you for, Lord, the last 10 years and how our lives have changed. We thank you that we're here today. Uh, But, Lord, we just pray right now for all those who are hurting. Lord, we we think of those in Pennsylvania who will be uh, honoring the the day today, those in New York City, those in Washington, D.C., and those around the world. Uh, God, we just pray your hand a blessing on our country. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me today. And if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to be walking down the aisle and they can give you a Bible so you can follow along if you forgot a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have one. We're going to read a whole chapter today. Sometimes it's just easier to have one in your hands. If you don't have a Bible, you can keep this one that they're going to give you. But anytime you forget one, we'll have one ready for you so that so that you can be with us and, and stay with us. And you've got a kind of a little sermon notes page that they've given you so that you can follow along. Uh, and, uh, and you've got a pen to take notes with. So I hope you'll, you'll prepare to learn today as we study the Bible in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know, I love to watch sports. And while I don't watch a ton of track and field, I love to watch the Olympics. Every four years, I stop and I tune into the Olympics. And my favorite sport in the Olympics, my, my, really my favorite race to watch in the Olympics are the relay race, races. 
uh, specifically the, the four by 400, you have basically the fastest guys in the world who are each running their best distance, the 100-meter dash, as quickly as they possibly can, and then handing a baton to somebody who has to take it and, and run the rest of the distance. And the reason I love to watch this race is because so much wrong can happen. You rarely, any time when you're watching elite athletes doing their thing, you rarely see anyone trip over a hurdle. Uh, you rarely see anyone who can't clear the jump that they're making. You rarely see somebody the caliber of Michael Phelps drown while they're trying to swim in a race. I mean, it, it's rare to see the best of the best mess up and do bad, but it happens often in a relay race. Because in a relay race, you not only have to run as fast as you can and be as highly trained as anyone in the world, but there's about a, a 30-foot window where probably one of the 50 fastest people in the world is going full speed, and another one of the 50 fastest people in the world is going full speed, and they've got to meet at an instant that allows one of them to slow down while another one's perfectly speeding up, while one is reaching forward, while one is reaching backward, and they have to pass that baton and keep going. And almost every time you watch a relay race, somebody, the finest athletes in the world that prepared four years for this moment, somebody almost every time drops the baton. And they're eliminated. This week, the, the track world championships were held in South Korea. It's kind of the every other year uh, world cha- the every other year Olympics, kind of the next level down. And if you watch the relay race, the Jamaicans won it. And those of you who are track fans, I mean, Usain Bolt, who's just a, like the, he's the fastest man who ever lived, won by like 50 meters. But the American team, who was in a close second to the Jamaicans when they came to pass the baton, they tripped and they didn't pass the baton. They missed, and they were immediately disqualified because they could not pass the baton from one person to the next. And see, in a relay race, it doesn't matter how fast you can run. It matters whether or not you can get the baton from the start to the finish in the proper order. Now, if you look at the Bible, here's the interesting thing about Scripture, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. That song we just sang is called Revelation Song. I love that song. In the book of Revelation, the Bible says that at the end of time, when everything is gone and God sets up a new heaven and a new earth, that that's the song we're going to sing in heaven. That's all those words translate that way. That, so some of you were just in choir practice today. That song that you just sang, you're going to sing that song in heaven one day according to to the book of Revelation. But the, the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is nothing more than the story of a relay race, of one generation passing a baton to the next generation and saying, it's your turn, go. And if you study the Bible, all, all, really all you have to know is the people in the Bible to know the story of the Bible. Because Adam passed it to Seth, who was his third son that we know. They had Cain and Abel, and Cain killed Abel, and then they had Seth, and Seth was a godly son. So Adam passed it to Seth, and then Seth passed it to Enoch. And then Enoch, who was taken straight to heaven, passed it to Noah. And then Noah only passed it to one of his boys because two of them didn't love God a, a whole bunch. He passed it to Shem. And later we see that Shem passed it to a guy named Abraham. And Abraham kind of lived his life and did his thing. And Abraham, at the end of his life, passed it to Isaac. And Isaac passed it to Jacob. And then we see that Jacob passed it to Joseph. And Joseph, after a period of years, passed it to Moses. And Moses passed it to Joshua. And Joshua passed it to the next generation. And Joshua, according to Scripture, Joshua's generation is one of the first we know that fumbled the baton. And Joshua passed it to a leader, and it said that when Joshua was alive, everyone lived for God. And when the person that Joshua passed the baton to, when the leaders after Joshua were alive, everyone lived for God. But after those leaders died, nobody lived for God anymore. They dropped it. They dropped the baton. And we went into a period in the book of Judges where just everyone, three times in the book of Judges, says people just, everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. They didn't really care what God thought. They just did what they thought was right. 
But eventually Samuel, who was a great priest, picked up the baton and began running. And he passed it to David. And David passed it to Solomon. And guess what? Solomon fumbled it. We, we get into another period of pretty dark spiritual history where everyone's trying to, you know, find the baton and see who can run with it. Eventually Daniel runs with it for a little bit. And we see Nehemiah and Ezra run with it for a little bit. And we have Esther. But in the Old Testament, they're kind of running their own race and they never have anyone to give it to until John the Baptist shows up. And, and we could say that you know, Malachi in the Old Testament kind of passed it to John the Baptist who gave it to Jesus, who gave it to the disciples, who gave it to Paul. And what we find in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I say all that to say this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, one of the last batons that we find scripturally has ever passed. And Paul is passing it to a young man that he had mentored in the ministry, a young man who it was now his turn to take the baton, the baton that Adam carried, and Noah carried, and Abraham carried, and David carried, and Samuel carried, and Solomon carried. It was now Timothy's turn to take this baton, and it was his turn to run a lap. And we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that Paul passes this baton on and says, Timothy, it's your turn, let's go now. Now, here's what I want to say before we get into this text. Twice in Scripture we see, you know, as a football player would say, we see the ball fumbled badly. We, we see the baton dropped where the race just kind of stops. Once, once is in Joshua's generation, the race just stopped. And another one is after Solomon's generation, the race just stopped. And I, I want to make a declaration that I believe we, our generation is almost outside the zone of being able to receive the baton. And our generation is getting ready to drop the thing. If you study right now church demographics, this generation, the, the amount, the, the people under 40 right now are getting ready to drop it. And you know what? We see in Scripture when that happens, the book of Judges over 400 years. The, the, between Malachi and John the Baptist, 400 years. It could be a dark 400 years in this world if our generation doesn't run their lap. So as we read about Paul passing to Timothy, you need to understand that it's crucial that our generation understands that we need to slow down enough to take the baton and to run our lap spiritually. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm in verse 4, I'm in the New International Version, uh, so you can follow along if you don't have your Bible. It'll be on the screen behind me. Paul says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge both the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers who just say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their eyes away from the truth and they'll turn aside to myths, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, discharge the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. So do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me, so get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. 
The Lord's going to repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side, and he gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 19, greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Now you see in 2 Timothy chapter 4 what it looks like to successfully have the baton given to you. But, but I, I don't want you to miss the message of what Paul is trying to say to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 because Paul, Paul is in his lane. Paul has run his race. Paul is in first place. And he now has a, 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 just a short amount of time. There's, there's a line that he can't pass it before and there's a line that he can't pass it after. And he's, he's in the passing zone and he's reaching it out to Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, here's how you take it. And it's up to Timothy to understand exactly what Paul's saying to him so that he can know how to take the baton and how to start running his race. And Paul said, Timothy, you need to understand three things. You need to have a realization of three things. If you're going to keep running this race, it's been run since Adam started running it many thousands of years ago. Timothy, here's what you need to realize. Realization number one. And here's what you and I need to realize this morning in our generation. You have a ministry to do, Timothy. Timothy, you have a ministry to do. In 2 Timothy 4.1, Paul says, I give you this charge. A better way to say that would be, I command you. That's what Paul is saying. I command you to do what you've been made to do. We talked about that last week with Ehud, the left-handed assassin. You've been made to make a difference. You've been placed where you are in life to make a difference. And Paul says, now I command you do your ministry. Now here's the interesting thing about who he's talking to. He's talking to Timothy. You say, who's Timothy? He's just a kid. Timothy was a kid in a church that Paul went to, and Paul's ministering to all the adults, and there's this kid in the youth group that hangs out in the back. But man, he's really plugged into what's going on. And Paul, as he gets ready to go to the next city, young Timothy comes to him and says, hey, can I go too? And Paul looks at this kid. He's just a kid. He says, why not? And now he's telling Timothy, Timothy, it's time for me to pass the holy baton that's been passed to me to someone and I'm going to give it to you. Now, you're, you're nothing special, but God wants to use you and you have a ministry to do. So now it's your turn. You know, this, this passing of the baton to Timothy reminds me of the kid in the feeding of the 5,000. Are you familiar with that, with that miracle that Jesus did? It's the only miracle listed in all four of the stories about Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus got up and he fed 5,000 people. You know, not one time in any of those Gospels is the kid ever given a name. We don't know who he is. He's just a kid. And as Jesus told his disciples, hey, there's a lot of people here, you know, the the holy disciples, the elders of the church that will one day sit on the 12 thrones and, you know, and and judge the world. They'll be one, you know, part of the 24 elders, we think, eschatologically. That that means all the end times stuff. Um, Those disciples said, what are we going to do? The disciples all said, you know, they pulled their hat. We don't have anything to do. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough bread. We're all tired. We hate ministry. Why do we have to feed everyone? 
some kid steps up. And he's like, you can use my lunch. Jesus is like, well, what do you got? It's like some fish and crackers, a couple fish. Now, we say he had a, a couple fish and five loaves of bread. Literally, they were sardines. You ever eaten sardines? Or sat next to someone who opened sardines before you moved to go sit in another? I mean, you know what sardines are, right? They're like miserable little things that you should fish with, not eat. Kid had a few sardines, and the, the bread that was talked about there was probably like crackers. And here's this kid, and these disciples have to be thinking, Kid, there's like 5,000 men here. We don't want your stupid lunch. You know what Jesus said? Perfect. I just need someone to be willing. I can use them. And he took that kid's lunch and he fed 5,000 people. Who was he? We don't know. Just some kid. I can't wait to run into this kid in heaven one day. I hope he wears a sign that says, I am the kid from the feeding of the 5,000. Because he's like one of the most important people in the Bible, but nobody knows who he is. Timothy's like this. Who's Timothy? He's a nobody. He was a kid in the youth group who kind of became friends with Paul and started traveling with him. He was a nobody. But here Paul says, man, you're a somebody now. You were willing to minister with me a little while ago, and guess what? It's your turn now. It's your turn. I'm going to pass you my baton, and man, you go do it. You have a ministry to do. He said, I command you. I charge you. He said, be prepared. Be prepared. What does that mean, be prepared? You know, this is actually a military command. Has anyone seen the movie Gladiator? It's one of the greatest movies in the history of the world. I love that movie with Russell Crowe. And you can, you remember the first time that Crow gathered all the, the warriors together and they were going to kill all the people that they were fighting and he got them into battle formation and the gladiators are, are kind of, you know, they're circling them and they're all in a circle and you see Russell Crowe and he's saying, hold, hold, and they're all waiting. I mean, they're like ready to pounce on his, hold, hold, and then he gives a command, go! And man, they just go kill everyone. It's a phenomenal scene in the movie. Your kids shouldn't watch it, but you should. It'll make, it, will, it will make you a better Christian. I mean, it's that good, I promise you. That's what Paul is saying here. When Paul says, be prepared, Paul is saying, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, go. It's, it's the word we use in cadence. Which the football player uses, the Chiefs start today. And you know, Matt Castle's going to come, he's going to get everyone at the line of scrimmage, and they're all going to know on a certain cadence. On his command, they're all going to move at the same time. And he, you know, he's going to say a bunch of things that don't make sense. And he's going to say, go! And, the whole, and everyone will move at once. That's the thought. Paul is saying, he's been telling Timothy, wait, 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 go. Now it's time. Go. I command you, be prepared. Now's the time. And you know what? For our church that's been you know, meeting since January 10th, on January 10th, I called five families and invited them over to my house to tell them what God had laid on my heart to do. And it snowed eight inches that day. Oh, man, nobody's going to show up. It was the night of the national championship games. I try to do spiritual things around football so I can do both at the same time. So I said, come over, let's watch the game. And then at halftime, I want to tell you what, what I'm doing in my church. It snowed eight inches, and I told Daniel, nobody's going to come. I mean, there's like snow everywhere. And I texted them all, and I said, can you can all still make it? And, man, they all said, we're there. We're there. And all of them came from all over Kansas City. They came. And I said, here's what we're going to do. And they said, we're in. And I told them that night, I said, on September 18, we're going to start our church. And I don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we're going to get ready, and then on September 18, we're going to go. And that's next week. Not more than nine months of planning now has gone into next week. And as we talk about reaching this community and reaching people that maybe you didn't ever think would want to come to church, this is the time now for our church. It's time now for all of us to go at the same time. There's only going to be one grand opening for this church. And people will, just because they're friendly, They'll come to maybe the grand opening of something when they wouldn't come to anything else. That's why it's important this week to engage and find that person who needs to get engaged in ministry. And this week is the week 
to invite him to Grand Open. Hey, our church is starting brand new this Sunday. Just come this Sunday and check it out. First ever Sunday. You'll get something free. This is a Sunday. Now is the time. Be prepared. He also told Timothy, keep your head. Persevere. Tell people about Jesus. Do the work of an evangelist. But he said, do your ministry. Timothy, do your ministry. If we're going to take the baton and run, we need to know God has not created us to come to church. God has created us to do ministry. And he said, Timothy, before you take the baton, you need to realize that you are an active participant in ministry. You don't just sit and watch. You've got to do ministry. I, I command you now. Go do it. Realization number two as we look at verses six through eight. Paul says, you need to realize you only have a season to do this. You only have a small window, Timothy, to do your ministry. In these next three verses, I'm actually going to pull them up on the screen again and read them again. I believe these three verses are the most intimate words that Paul ever wrote. This is his most intimate moment in Bible writing as he wrote the scriptures that God would inspire to to become the word of God that we'd have 2,000 years later. He wrote them to a friend, a young trusted friend, and I believe Paul never bared his heart more than these three verses. Look at verses 6 through 8. He said, Timothy, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. Paul told Timothy, I'm done. This was his retirement speech, only given once in Scripture. I'm done. My time is over. You know, we think about all the great press conferences that are held now when people retire from something. Paul wrote three sentences. Timothy, I'm done. And he said three things. He said, first off, he said, my life now is being poured out as a drink offering. What's a drink offering? A drink offering was the very last sacrifice offered in the Levitical system after the grain offerings and this offering and that offering. The very last offering given was the drink offering. And Paul said, my very last act of ministry is going to be to die and go to heaven. That's the last thing I can do to bring glory to God. And he was getting ready probably, we think certainly within a year, maybe a few weeks of Second Timothy chapter 4, going to be killed by Nero in Rome. And he said, I'm almost, ready for my, I'm almost ready to be a drink offering. I'm almost ready to give the last portion of myself. But the drink offering only came after all the sacrifices. Have you ever read through the book of Leviticus and stayed awake through the whole thing? I mean, it's like <laughs> sacrifice this and sacrifice that and sacrifice this. and that. I mean, you, like, you don't have anything left in you. I mean, your cat's dog, you're dead, your dog's dead. I mean, you, you know, you've brought it all after everything has been sacrificed. Then they offer the drink offering. And we look at what Paul did in ministry. And this is why I say I believe Paul is the greatest Christian who has ever lived or who will ever live. Paul did more for Christianity than anyone will ever dream to do. It's impossible to do what Paul did. Jesus and Paul are like 1 and 1A. And Paul's not our Savior, but he's the greatest Christian that ever lived. And we look at the sacrifices he made in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul begins to talk through some of the things that have happened to him in ministry. Sacrifices he has made. And I'm not going to read through the entire text in 2 Corinthians 11:16 through 29, but here, here's what the sacrifices Paul said he had to endure while he was running with the baton. 
He said, he said to the church in Corinth, I've worked harder than everyone. It's the hardest working minister that ever lived. He said, I've been in prison frequently. I've been beaten severely. I've been exposed to death, he says time and again. I've been beaten by the Jews. And I've been beaten by the Gentiles. They both hate me. I face capital punishment. And I lived. He like went to the electric chair, but survived. In those days it was stoning. He said, I've been shipwrecked. I've had to live in the witness protection program. I've been on the run from everyone. I've lived life in danger everywhere that I've gone. I've been tired. I've been hungry. I've been poor. I've been cold. I've been stressed out. And then I love his, his final sacrifice. He said, and I'm tempted to sin sometimes. Now, if you look at that list today in modern day Christianity and say, Christian, which one of those things do you face? Well, I'm tempted to sin sometimes. I mean, that, that's about it. The rest of it, I haven't had to do that in Christianity. And Paul told Timothy, I've lived my life sacrificing for Jesus. And now I'm going to give him the only thing left. I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to die and I'm going to go to heaven. And in Philippians, he said, I'm cool with that. I'd re- I prefer that to go and live for Jesus. But Paul was such an optimist. He said in Philippians 1, he said, listen, you can't keep me down. If you keep me in prison, I'm going to lead all the guards to Christ. If you let me go, I'm going to go lead the outside world to Christ. If you kill me, I'm going to heaven. So bring it on. Anyway, I win. This is Paul. But now Paul says, I'm done. I've done all these things, but I'm almost done. Let me ask you a question. Have you made any sacrifices spiritually in your life that you could list on a sheet of paper? These are things that I have given up to walk with God. Can you think of anything that, that because of your relationship with Jesus, you don't, you just... You gave it up. It may be as simple as, I had tickets to the game today, and I'm not going. I would list that as a sacrifice. If I had tickets for the, for the home opener at Arrowhead, I would say, you know, God, I hope you see this, because this is a big deal. You know, I, maybe, maybe you didn't go on a vacation. Maybe you give in the offering some of your money that you need more of, but you get. I don't know what it is, but do you have any sacrifices? Are, are you in the game spiritually? Do you have any, do you have any scars spiritually? from where you went through a tough time because of your commitment to Jesus. You know, a lot of you who know me know that I grew up playing football. My dad was my high school football coach. I played football in college and you know, was thankful enough to have a scholarship so I didn't have to pay for any of it. But my body, every morning when I wake up, remembers that I played football the first 22 years of my life. I've broken every bone in my left arm, the big one, both the little ones. I've broken my left hand, two fingers on my, on my left hand, Torn cartilage in my right knee. I've broken my right ankle. My left shoulder has been in and out of socket so many times that sometimes when I roll over in bed, it comes out. Or if I take my T-shirt off the wrong way, it comes out. But I'm so afraid of the doctor that when I went to do surgery, the day before surgery, he said, now here's what we're going to do. I almost passed out on the table with him telling me. And I said, I don't think, you know, either do it and don't tell me or don't do it at all. And I still haven't gone and, and gotten operated on. I've been knocked out more times than I can count. I get tremendous headaches if I do anything that rattles my head at all. I got hit so hard in, in one game that I still have to sleep on a cervical pillow because my neck's not lined up right. I can't chew gum because my jaw's not lined up right. I mean, all those things from playing football. And aren't we excited that our son is playing now? But, I mean, I, I, you know, I loved all of it. I loved all of it. You know why? Because those are my scars. Those proved that I played the game for a long time and I really loved Those are my scars. When, when you get together with old guys that play football, that's what they talk about, their injuries and their surgeries. 
And, you know, their scars have become their stars in their life. So let me ask you a question. Do you have any ministry scars? We said, you know, one time I really stuck my neck out for what I believe Jesus wanted me to do. And, man, it bruised me deeply. But I knew that Jesus was calling me to do it. You see, Paul said, I'm, I'm almost now a drink offering. I have sacrificed everything. And the last thing I can give is my life, and I'm going to do that now. And I'm fine with that. A drink offering. And, and then he said these words. He said, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. These are all past tense words. Paul said, I'm done now. His ministry season had been completed. And now I told Timothy, it's your turn. And it won't always be your turn. And it wasn't your turn until I told you it was your turn. But now I'm done, and it's your turn. Don't you wish Brett Favre would have done what Paul did you know, a few years ago and just given it up instead of wanting it always to be his turn? I mean, Paul said, it's not my turn anymore. Tremendously graceful leadership. Here's the interesting thing, though. This, he said, I have fought, I, I fought the fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. In Acts 20, 24, almost a quarter century earlier, Paul was, was giving his testimony in the book of Acts. And here's what he said in Acts 20, 24. He said, I will consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So when he was a young man, he said, I will consider my life a failure if I don't finish. And here he is now, an old man. And and you know what he said? I finished. I started a race and I finished. I completed my, I did it. I did it. I completed my ministry task. And he said, I've earned my reward. What's my reward? One day I'm going to go to heaven. He said, my ministry is complete. Listen closely. My ministry is complete, Timothy, but it's not finished. Mine is complete, but ministry is not finished. Now it's your turn. And it's your turn to run until it's not your turn to run anymore. It's your turn, but you're not all alone to do it by yourself. Realization number three that we see in 2 Timothy 4. Realization number one, Timothy, you've got a ministry to do. Realization number two, you've got a season to do it. Realization number three, you've got people to help you. You're not going to have to do it all by yourself. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, we see 17 names mentioned of people who Paul did ministry with at some time in his life. Now, a few of them he doesn't like anymore. They, they heard him, and they heard his ministry. But 17 names, he said, I never, you know, Timothy, you have to go do ministry, and I've done ministry, and I'm done now, but... You've got to surround yourself with people who are going to help you. In Romans chapter 16, Paul lists 34 people by name. He said, I've been doing ministry, and these are all the people who have helped me. See, Paul did unbelievable ministry, but he built an unbelievable team of people to do ministry with him. And he said, Timothy, you have to go do ministry. But by giving this great epilogue in, in verses 9 through 22, what he's saying is God's going to bring you people to help you. And these are the exact same steps that God gave anyone who did Noah. Noah, I need you to build an ark. But guess what Noah had just had a hundred years earlier? It's kind of weird how old people lived at at that time. He just had three sons. See, if God would have told Noah at 500, build an ark, Noah would have been like, you know, I'm 500, God. You know, that's, are you sure you want me to build an ark? But at 600, he said, I'm 600. But at least I got three boys to help me. He didn't have to do it alone. God gave Abraham at the beginning of his life when he was too afraid to go anywhere by himself, gave him Lot, and Lot kind of ran around with him until Abraham was able to do it on his own. God gave Moses Aaron at first. When Moses said, I can't speak, I can't go tell Pharaoh off. God said, okay, you just show up with a stick, Aaron will tell him off. 
And then he gave him Mo, and then he gave him Joshua. Moses, I can't go fight a war. I said, okay, you hold the stick up. Joshua will fight the war. I mean, God gave him people to help him. He gave Joshua Caleb, a right-hand man. He gave Elijah, Elisha, and he's given us each other. That's the way it works. If I were to write a letter, if, if I were to be sent to prison for preaching the gospel now, today, like if they came and arrested me today, and I were to write a letter about the nine-month journey of Journey Church International, you know what it would include? The names of dozens and dozens of people who helped us get from a living room over in Eagle Creek to a week before launch right here. Because you don't do ministry without people. You don't do ministry without help. And we're not going to build a church or reach this community without a lot of people coming together and, and saying, hey, I'll run this lap. I'll run this lap with this church and I'll play my part in the history of Christianity. The question is, is your name in anyone's story? A lot of you would be in my story, but some of you say, you know, I don't know that I've ever done anything to impact the kingdom. Get involved here, I promise you, you will. Your name will be written in someone's story, and most of all, it will be written in God's of what you did when, you, when it was your turn to run with the baton. Let me leave you today with Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 16. Paul's writing to the church of Rome where he always wanted to go, and he hadn't been able to go there yet. So he, he wrote him a letter, and here's what he said in Romans chapter 1. Verses 11 through 16. He said, I long to see you so that I can impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. So I want to do ministry so you can become better Christians. That is so that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. He said, not only will I help you, you'll help me. So I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. I've been planning many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you so I can help you reach your friends. Isn't that what a church is supposed to do? Just as I've had among other Gentiles. Paul said, when I show up, and people will bring the friends, God moves. Verse 14, he said, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Paul said three things. Paul said, I need to come to you because we have to reach people for Jesus. And he said, first and foremost, he said, I'm obligated. I have to. It's not whether or not I want to. I have to. God has obligated me that I have to make a mark on the world. And there's people in my life and in your life that we need to reach. And Paul said if we do some ministry together, maybe we can reach them. I'm obligated. I have to. He then said I'm eager. I want to. Not only do I have to, but I really want to. It's not going to be a burden for me to tell your friends who Jesus is and what He can do in their life. I can't wait to do it. I'm eager to come to you so I can tell you and your friends what Jesus has done. He said, I'm obligated. I have to. I'm eager. I want to. And then he said, I'm not ashamed. He said, I will. Not only do I want to, and not only do I have to, but I'm going to do this. Because I am not ashamed of what Jesus has done in me and what He can do in others. He has the power to transform their lives. I'm obligated as a Christian. I know I have to. And I'm eager as a pastor. I want to. But I'm not ashamed as a Christian. I will. Because I know what Jesus has done for me and what he can do for others. So let me ask you this question. Ten years have passed. You remember where you were when you heard? I was at my mom and dad's house just south of Chicago, Illinois. About 50 miles south of Chicago. My son had just been born, and we were up there literally just trying to get a night's sleep. I mean, you remember those times when your, your child is less than a month old, 
and, and you just ever so slightly think about the child sacrifice in the Old Testament and how it makes a little sense because they just won't quit crying so you can sleep. We were just up there just trying to rest. That's it. Just, we just wanted my mom to watch the kid so we could sleep. And I'll never forget that Tuesday morning. My mom is bawling. She's crying out. And she swings open the door and we're sleeping. And she says, America's under attack. And my mom can be kind of dramatic sometimes. So, you know, thinking, just calm down. America's not under attack. What's going on? They've hit New York City and they've hit Washington, D.C. America's under attack. I said, Mom, you know, by this time I'm like, like, like here under attack? So I go out and the TV's on. And there's one tower burning. And they're wondering, is it an accident or not an accident? But then the Pentagon is hit and then that second plane flies in. And we're just glued to that TV and then that building falls. And then that other building falls. And you, you remember it. I mean, you, you remember it just like I do. And you, you know what I did? In probably the first hour of that time together, you know what I did? I did the exact same thing that you did. I probably put a call into everyone in my life who was family or extremely close to me to make sure they were okay. Because that's, when we, that's what we do. When, when tragedy occurs, the first thing we do is we reach out to people we're close to so we can be comforted by them, so we can be encouraged by them to make sure they're okay, so we can be an encouragement, so we can be in a comfort. So who were the people you called that day? That's my question to you. Who, who were the people you dialed up to just make sure they were okay in life? And let me ask you this question. You know for sure if those people are going to go to heaven when they leave this earth and they enter eternity? Because see, it's a lot more important that people in our life are protected spiritually than it is that they're protected against terrorists. You understand that, right? Because we're all going to leave this world. And there's a beautiful and glorious heaven that awaits for, for anyone who will understand Jesus' love for them and what they have done. And what I want you to do is, as a, a church body, a church that's getting ready to plant, what I want you to do this week, as I, God has handed me the baton and now I give it to you for a week, is I want you to think about the people close to you in life that if a tragedy were to occur, you would immediately reach out to them because you're that close to them. Or if they were to this week leave this earth and you're sitting at their funeral by the end of the week if you'd sit and wonder man did anyone like ever witness to them i want you to reach out to those people this week and i want you to invite them to church this sunday and like paul told the romans you get your friends and i will tell them about jesus and i'll tell them what he can do in their life and their heart may or may not be open to it but i promise you next week i will tell them what jesus can do in their life here's what i've asked the ushers to do today and ushers, I want you to go ahead and come down the aisles. We've put together a card. This is not for me, it's for you. You don't have to hand this in. I, I don't care to see it. And it's just a card with three lines on it. And I've asked our ushers to hand this to everyone in the room today. And as we conclude our service, go ahead and pass them out right now. I'm going to ask you to write the names of three people down who you believe it's your job to go to them spiritually in this lifetime. These may not be people who live in the city that you can invite to church. I'm not really concerned with that. These, the, you may never plan to come back to this church. I'm not concerned with that either. You still have people in your life that as you look around, you have been placed in a relationship with someone that you do not know whether or not they know Jesus. They are not maybe in a church that's giving them a baton and telling them to run with the gospel. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write their names down on this. And put it in your Bible and pray for them this week. Put it in your car, on your dashboard, and think about them this week. Put it on your bathroom mirror where you can see it every day this week. And my challenge for you, I don't want you to hand this in. 
My challenge to you is to get an awareness that you have ministry to do and that you have a season to do it and that you have specific people in your life that you're supposed to engage with. And maybe these are them. For some of you, it's a mom and dad. For some of you, it's a brother and sister. For some of you, it's a best friend. For some of you, it's just a next-door neighbor you've been praying for. For some of you, it's a coworker that's just gone through the worst hell in their life, and you know if they ever needed Jesus, they need him now. And I'm going to ask you this week to reach out to them. And if they live in Kansas City, invite them to come to church with you next Sunday. Offer to take them out to eat after church so that they know you're not just using them so they can hear a spiritual message, but that you really love them. And like Paul told the church in Romans... I promise you if they come, my part will be I will tell them about Jesus. Now, as we close today, it may not be your job today to write somebody's name on a card. Maybe your name should be written on that card. Maybe you've never started your spiritual journey. Maybe you've never begun your relationship with Jesus. So if you need to do that first and foremost today, we need to give you an opportunity to do that. And then we're going to pray for the people you've written on this card. And we're going to pray this week that God will put that baton in the hand of our church and the people in our church. And man, when we get a firm grip on it, we're going to run our hearts out until it's not our time anymore. And then we're going to give it to somebody else. We pray together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this gymnasium. And if you're in here today and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, Jesus who came and was born of a virgin, Jesus, who was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist, did ministry for three years, was hung on a cross, died, was buried, and raised again. That Jesus loves you. And he wants to be your Savior. Say, save me from what? Save you from a lifetime away from God? Save you from a place the Bible refers to as hell one day in eternity? But more than that, to save you from hell on earth, just having to live life by yourself. He wants to become your best friend. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin to be your friend, to be your Savior. Then I'm going to pray a prayer that you can pray just sitting in your seat, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You don't have to say this out loud. Just pray it in your heart. And today Jesus can save you and change you and live in your life forever. Just pray these words, dear Jesus. I need you in my life. I believe that you came, that you ministered, and that you died and rose again. And that you can forgive me of all my sins, all the things I've done wrong. And that one day you can allow me to go to heaven. I understand that that's your call. But you want me to be there with you. So today I accept your generous gift of salvation to me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Change me. Save me forever. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room. If you just pray that prayer, would you just slip your hand up so that I can know it? Just all over this room. Christian, I just prayed that prayer with you to become a Christian. Now with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, here's my question for everyone else. Nobody's looking around. A lot of you took that card. Some of you wrote, some of you didn't. But how many of you today, God has spoken to you that there's someone in your life who this afternoon, if you were to go sit at their funeral, you wouldn't know whether or not they'd ever become a Christian. And you feel like you need to do something about that. I just want to pray for you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I, 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 have, I know I have someone in my life I need to talk to. Just raise it up. Hold it up for a minute. And put it down. God, I pray for all these hands because they represent people. People, Lord, that, that we need to protect from more than terrorism. People that we need to protect from the lie of the devil. 
people that we need to share the love of Jesus with. Give us the boldness this week to do that, whether it's a phone call, an email, a text message, whether it's an invitation to church. God, I pray that you will allow this church to take the baton and run with it. I believe it's our season. We are willing. Give us people to carry out the mission and the vision you've given us. And man, we'll just, Lord, we'll do ministry until it's time to pass it to someone else. Let's see things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, Amen. Here's what I want you to do. For those of you who have that connection card, actually, all of you have that connection card. Here, here's what I want you to do before we close. And I always ask you to do this. First, let us know you were here today. If you're a